This is Connecting Dots from Fixed Cost Financial. Read the disclaimer in the show notes. Assume a conflict of interest with all companies discussed due to our extensive holdings. Let's begin. So this is episode 157 of Connecting Dots. And this, along with episode 158, will wrap up our discussion on energy with a focus on fusion. And now we're going to begin talking a little bit more about nuclear energy. And we're going to talk about some politics and what's going on with a couple of different energy sources, technologies. And we're going to start wrapping it up and connecting the dots. For those of you who are new, if this is your first podcast for us, go back and listen to the very first one for Monday. These things came out at 6 o'clock in the morning and at 11 o'clock in the morning, two a day, 10 episodes in which we're talking about technology, specifically the area of energy. Now, here's the thing. When change takes place, people have a whole lot of different reactions to change. Let's talk a little bit about that as we move into, again, hydrogen and nuclear power and how this is going to connect in terms of making money, at least more than likely in my lifetime. And one of the things people do is they tend to panic. Oh, my God, things are changing. I just can't believe it. I can't handle it. I see that all the time. That is something we deal with a lot at Fixed Cost Financial. People have been brainwashed, the propaganda, into thinking about the same thing over and over. Oh, if I use an investment advisor, I have to pay a percentage of assets under management. No, you don't. Or, oh, my person doesn't charge me anything. I've never paid anything. Wrong, you are. It's just non-transparent. Oh, no, no. Bob's a good friend from the church. He's a good Baptist. He's a good Christian. He's a good Catholic. He's a good Methodist. He's a good Jew. He's a good Buddhist. He's part of Scientology. He would never make money off of me. Those kinds of delusional attitudes are, well, frustrating because you you meet people that actually are in positions of power and authority. Some of them actually carry badges and guns, and it's really scary at times to see how delusional people are. And in the area of hydrogen and nuclear energy, so many people are delusional and crazy on this thing. They, they, they have to have this sense of confusion. Okay, they're in denial, just refusing to change. Oh, we're helpless to what's going on. Oh, get a damn life. You know, one of the things that we know is that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs coming up. And that's what a lot of this has to deal with. You know, the oil industry employs a lot of people. And again, going back to the 1800s, we have to remember that the Luddites did the exact same thing. I mean, we're going to talk about that in just a second, but let's take a few moments and review what some of the jobs are that we're going to lose or they're going to radically change in the next few years. So studies have shown that maybe 40 to 50% of all the jobs that exist today in the next 10 to 20 years are going to be gone. And that's kind of scary, right? You know, I'll give you a good example. Um, you have a lot of businesses like ours. We have like 24 cameras at our business. We can see everything. If it's an unobstructed view, we can cop the tag number. We can see the face of the person when somebody pulls into our facility at night. All of these silent alarms go off. And I have people on site 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they're armed. So anybody that breaks into our facility, really that's bad news for you because nobody's going to be surprised. We can see it coming from a mile away. 
That eliminates a security guard because the people who work here, when something happens, are expected to deal with it. So security guard jobs are being eliminated. You have positions out there where they're flying drones, the cameras, the sensors. I mean, that's just it's just wild. These routine tasks are huge. Amazon, if you've ever looked at their their facilities, the robots running around, it's just utterly amazing. Shipping centers, now diagnostic facilities, everything from lung cancer and, well, you name it, can be diagnosed very quickly. And in the area of, well, journalism, you're getting more and more robots, again, algorithms, nothing more than software that are writing news stories for newspapers. Probably one of the reasons why newspapers are dead. You have driverless cabs by way of Uber, and more and more of these are going to occur with, again, fixed routes. 18-wheeler, or rather 16-wheel trucks. Again, your, your long haul. We talked about Nicola, and we talked about how they are radically changing the world of truck driving in terms of hydrogen fuel. But is the day coming when you might have one person driving and you have three or four trucks following? Yeah, that day is coming. So you could see an awful lot of the 1.7 million truck drivers, well, replaced. We have underwriters for insurance, telemarketers, tax preparers, library technicians. I mean, there's so many jobs that are going to be replaced. Now, years ago, people worked from their house. They worked as weavers. They produced stockings and they were used, they used frames and cotton spinners to create yarn. You had things called croppers. It took large sheets of wool and fabric and they trimmed them and got the rough surfaces off, made it smooth to the touch. Now, this was back when England in the 19th century, this was a very powerful industry in England. And automation, man, these people fought back. And they called themselves Luddites. And they staged attacks against machines. That's right, they attacked machines. But these people had to eventually face reality. In their pay, well, they made good pay, but boy, it started to go down. And down it went to the point where it just wasn't a job that anybody wanted to hire. The textile industry, the economy went into a tailspin. Most of you are too young to remember when in the Carolinas, that was a big deal. We made clothing here in the United States for a long time, not anymore. And what happens when supply goes down, demand goes down, and you're able to do it more efficient? What happens? Reduce wages. I remember when it was not uncommon back in the early 1980s and 90s for a software engineer who had really basic fundamental talents to make four or $500,000 a year. That very same talent is basically minimum wage. So you have people who are no longer untrained workers or doing apprenticeships. What we need is mechanics to keep the machines running. Merchants, retailers, they don't care. It's a lot easier to fix a machine rather than a person. So cotton weaving machines became all the rage. Now, we need to understand that because there are very powerful political forces that are fighting both nuclear and hydrogen production. Now, a few years back, the Nuclear Energy Agency published a report in October of 2003 where they went through in great detail, and there was a convention of people getting together in, in Illinois about how you could combine both the generation of power on a nuclear basis and hydrogen and how efficient that was. The U.S. Department of Energy in their science news going back to June 1st, 2004, you have an article. Nuclear plants may be clean hydrogen 
source. So you need to have that, again, using electrolysis. You need to generate some electricity to separate hydrogen from oxygen, and then you create the liquefaction of the hydrogen, and then you wind up having a fuel cell. You can transport it, and that in turn creates energy that can generate movement for electric motors. And the byproduct is simply water. Now, we've said this over and over and over. In fact, fact, on November 28, 2010, in uh, in Stanford, Iso Chen wrote on November 28, 2010, hydrogen and nuclear reactors. He went through the schematics. Very simple. It's not a a, uh, PhD level item, but you can look it up. It was for a a coursework for Physics 240 in Stanford, and he only had four or five references, but it's a cute little article that makes it so incredibly simple. Nuclear reactor, thermochemical reduction, hydrogen is produced, now you have electricity going into fuel cells to generate energy. It's real simple. You have thermochemical processes and you have electrolysis. So when you have a thermochemical process, uh, such as steam, methane, and, and sulfur, iodine, yeah, I don't buy that. Lots of things are going along those lines. It's nice research. It's the electrolysis that works, okay? No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, with that being said, the International Atomic Energy Agency, IEA, did a fantastic report called IEA Nuclear Energy Series number NPT 4.2. Yes, let's get it all in there. Hydrogen production using nuclear energy. I encourage you to read the damn thing. You would be shocked at the number of people that participated and the depth of the knowledge that's in this thing that's fairly easy to read. And they simply have taken all of the processes and, and summarized it and how it can work. You should understand why. Because this is the future. And the future of making money is being ahead of the curve. So, can we use nuclear power plants to produce hydrogen fuel in a hydrogen economy? The answer is yes. The technology is now there. One of the people that we need to talk a lot about is Bill Gates, the co-founder of Microsoft. He's also co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He's also chairman of something called Terra Power. Power, T-E-R-R-A, Power, P-O-W-E-R, is an amazing thing that they are doing. Now, Gates, along with a fellow by the name of Paul Allen, Paul's died now, they became, in 1975, they launched, again, 1975, okay? What, these, these, this took a long time. Some of the things in life don't happen overnight, boys and girls. You do realize that. I talked earlier about Edward C. Banfield, The Heavenly City Revisited. Chapter 3, Time Horizon. The difference between low class and upper class is nothing more than the ability to see into the future. But their foundation and what they've done and the technical publications that have come out and the research in TerraPower is unbelievable. So what they're doing is they are quite literally leading the innovation in nuclear energy. And what they're doing is they're using something called uranium, okay? Now, when you have original uranium, eventually when it wears out, you have what is known as depleted uranium. Now, I have family members who have seen huge stockpiles of depleted uranium. We have tons of this crap laying around. Wouldn't it be nice if you could use crap to make fertilizer? Well, we can, right? It's done all the time. Horse manure, cow manure, human manure. Go to Milwaukee, malorganite. What do you think malorganite is? 
look it up, and look at what Milwaukee does with their waste treatment plant. So you have a nuclear power plant that generates crap, waste. But wouldn't it be interesting if you could kickstart a plant with uranium and then use depleted uranium to continue the process? And in essence, that's what they have figured out. The innovations, the technologies that they have created are huge. But the public opinion on this is so bad, it's not funny. It's just plain sad. So... Again, we're talking about depleted uranium rather than enriched uranium. And one of the, just kind of, I'm doing this to keep it incredibly simple, okay? So think of it like this. When you take a spaceship, okay, big, big spaceship, to get it out of Earth's orbit, gravity, the gravitational pull, what do you need? You need a lot of thrust. You need power. Once you get the damn thing up and it's going, once it's out of our atmosphere, once it's out of our gravitational pull, it doesn't take a lot to kick it in gear, okay? Real simple. You got a car, you're at dead stop. Where are you going to use most of your gas? When you start. So the beginning movement is where it takes a lot of power. So you have enriched uranium to start it, and then you use the depleted uranium to continue it. It is a brilliant idea, but good luck. Now, this stuff is not new. I mean, in 1958, we began really understanding what breed and burn conditions exist in terms of natural and depleted uraniums. We we all know about Chernobyl. We know about uh, the different accents we've had. But oh, no. The, the technology today is just so much greater. You know, in 2008, Terra Power actually became a private company and began the development of the first practical engineering embodiment of, of what they're doing. The people who are working on this are smart. I mean, they're really, really smart. So the question is, do you want to listen to smart people or do you want to listen to dumb people? I mean, it really does come down to that very simple thing. I'll give you an example of dumb people who are, well, here in the United States and abroad. Nuclear issue that took place in Fukushima. Germany permanently shut down the majority of its 17 reactors. And as a result of that, Europe is shutting down basically a lot of their power sources. Who gives a damn about Europe? The Europeans are old people. They're a bunch of group of people that are just, they've lost their way. They don't have a culture anymore. They are in free fall, and we are as well. What you want to do is look at the rapid rise of a place like China and look at all the nuclear reactors that are going on there. In fact, Terra Power and Bill Gates, that's where they were going to build this whole concept of new nuclear reactions, reactors using, again, depleted uranium. Now, as a result of the trade war and Donald Trump, that got shut down. But the United States basically said, yeah, we don't care. Go out. Go ahead. Get out. Do it. So if you watch the Netflix documentary where it talks about Inside Bill's Brain, Decoding Bill Gates, I've watched that very thoroughly, and that is nothing more than a public relations effort to humanize him, to get him out in the public, and to also move forward, he and Warren Buffett, the founder of Berkshire Hathaway, into the public discussion because they're both a little bit older, the grandfatherly approach. Bill's basically my age, but he's aged physically not quite as well. And so as a result, it's nothing more than to get people to start saying, well, if Bill Gates says it, if Warren Buffett says it, yeah, 
Warren Buffett's a cutthroat businessman. I mean, his his railroad company, they didn't want that pipeline coming down from Alaska because he was, again, trucking oil in and gas in with his railroad cars. Far more dangerous than a, than a pipeline. It's all politics. That's what went on during the Obama administration. But here's the thing. Oil's not the solution. Gas is not the solution. We got a lot of LP gas. Russians, my God, there's lots of stuff out there. But true independence is having energy at the closest source of use. Now, earlier I told you that when you have long transmission lines, the farther the transmission, the less power you have. There's a natural depletion as you go long distance. So you want to make sure that this works. Elon Musk, for example, this guy, he wants to have all these superchargers all over Europe. They want to have 100% of Europe covered with super uh, charger stations, and he wanted it to be done this year. It ain't going to happen. This guy always overpromises and underdelivers. Now, a supercharger, you know, they got you, you can get about 170 miles, you get a 30 minute charge. Okay, so I charge my vehicle up, I get 170 miles, um, I can do it in 30 minutes versus a hydrogen fill up in 15 minutes or five minutes for a motor vehicle and I can get, what, three, four, 500 miles? Time is valuable. So right now, there are about 5,400 superchargers out there. He said he was gonna have 10,000. Really fell, go- he, look, he fell short of his goal by over 8,000 stations. He wants to have 18,000 by the end of 2018. Eh, didn't quite turn out. Um, well, they came close, but didn't quite make it. So Tesla understood the importance of having charging stations. Oh, charging near the source. And when it comes to gas stations, my God, the number of gas stations out there are huge. And the number of gas stations that are related to convenience stores is growing. Actual, the actual number of gas stations is going down. 1994, there were 202,000 gas stations in the United States. Now, there's 159,000 because the number of convenience stores with gas stations have grown. I mean, it's gone from like around the high 500 to nearly 700,000. People want their drinks and they want their candies and they want all that together. So the bottom line is what we need to do is focus on how do we develop the power from clean nuclear energies, okay, depleted uranium, kickstart it with enriched minimize the impact, then run and start using all the crap we have in the country. That makes sense. It's like fertilizer. The the problem is people overthink things. Occam's razor. When you have a complex problem and two or more solutions, one with the fewest number of variables is almost always correct. That's what we do here at Fixed Cost Financial. It's the way we think. People overthink things. We keep it simple. Why? Because keeping it simple is better and it works. Now, let's wrap this up in one more episode, and we'll tie it all together. This is Paul Truesdell, and you are listening to Connecting Dots. Make sure to read the disclaimer in our show notes before each episode. Connecting Dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs. Nothing should be construed as an individual recommendation. Always read and all applicable information carefully before making an investment decision. Investments are not bank guaranteed, not FDIC insured, and may lose value. 
Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest should be assumed.